You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. everyone and welcome back to the healthy sensitive uh, podcast for highly sensitive people introverts creatives uh, who are trying to figure out how to live well in a not so sensitive pretty loud ballsy world <laughs> um, I'm Leah Burkhart your hostess and uh, this episode what I want to talk a little bit about is information specifically news although maybe this concept could be applied more broadly even beyond the scope of news not really sure but you know I I, for me personally what I noticed start to happen is my capacity for creativity started to kind of come down I think some of that was due to you know just personal stuff moving and chaos ensuing and all of that stuff that that can take your bandwidth down a notch but a big chunk of it too was I don't even know how to describe it except to say that maybe it was the static or um, there's just this unconscious, consistent awareness of the uncertainty that we're all living in. And they're big pieces that are sort of, even if I'm not directly looking at the news, I'm aware of it. And then, of course, if you consider the fact, too, that this is not just, it's not just that we have a pandemic or that we only have economic uncertainty or a leadership vacuum or, um, uh, well, the final one is it's an election year. <laughs> like, what? So it's a little bit difficult to completely ignore the news. Um, and I, just to give you a little bit of background about me, I, I don't know to what extent I've mentioned this in past episodes, but... Uh, my journey into the health and wellness arena was sort of uh, a hodgepodge. It was a combination of, well, how I'm built and what naturally interests me and just personal experiences that guided me in that direction. So when I first went, well, some of this was influenced by uh, current events. So I graduated high school in 2004. So that was just three years after the 9-11 tragedy. So... And at that time, I had just gotten some exposure to legal studies classes. I had taken a class, I think it was Introduction to Law, and had a phenomenal teacher. His name, by the way, was Mr. Kaplan, which, <laughs> I mean, how perfect is that? Name that's on many textbooks, FYI. Anyway, uh, and the combination of the confusion and frustration that I felt right after 9-11 and then the wars that ensued thereafter led me to be to, to want uh, to be hungry for more information and I thought if I had more information and insight well maybe that would help so went to college trying to poke around to see what things would interest me meanwhile just FYI in my own private bubble in my own private universe from about 14, 15 years of age, I I was overweight. I mean, not absurdly so, but you know, it, it was clear that I wasn't, I didn't have really healthy habits and my energy was pretty much low. My sleep wasn't great. And I was getting sick up until about the age of 14 with random things. Like at 11, I got Bell's palsy. I mean, 
what? (laughs) And now I know some of that may well have been due to the fact that I have a more vigilant nervous system and so it gets stressed more easily, which is taxing on the immune system. And I wasn't calibrating my daily routine in a way that supported that very well. So anyway, so that's going on at the same time as these current events are bubbling up. When I went to college, I fell in love with politics. And so I decided to major in it and thought, yeah, but when I graduate, what can I do with that? And so I thought I should balance that out. And so I double majored in economics. Now, don't ask me what I thought I was going to do with that, but I guess I imagined because economics uses more math, it would look better on a resume. I don't know. Anyway, um, and another good big part of that too was the kinds of classes that I was really interested in required so many economics classes to be taken before I could get into that class that it's just got to the point where it was just like, all right, fine, I'll just double major. So, and then meanwhile, while doing these studies, I was dragging my friends to the gym and I was, you know, cooking healthy food. And so you can start to see where these interests converged. And the way that I thought I would go about converging them or sort of like integrating them was to study health policy. So that was my big shtick. I was going to go out into the world and I was going to get health insurance to everybody because I thought that was a really big deal. And that gives you, again, a little bit of background. And in the process of studying health policy, I also learned about the history of our political system. Because I didn't just learn about mine. (laughs) But and how economic systems work and how nuanced and complicated all of the exchanges that go on internally within our own borders as well as externally and on a macro level and as much as I thought gathering that information would be empowering I oddly enough had just the opposite experience it it didn't empower if anything it I wouldn't say it was disempowering but it really left me with a rich understanding of just how big some of the problems are and how convoluted they can become and you know we we look back on the past so frequently with a kind of nostalgia and a a warm, fuzzy feeling. But in reality, there was no time in our country where there wasn't some form of a conflict or some, you know, issue that we were trying to navigate. And so anyway, went to college. That's a little bit of my background. So you would think my love of watching the news and, and all that stuff would have stuck. But when I left... I guess I just left having felt like, oh, the conversations that we're having about how to go about getting the most amount of resources to the greatest number of people most effectively. Like, how do we make the most amount of people happy possible? How do we create systems that uh, allow for that? They've been more or less the same almost since the beginning, at least as far back as we can document political discussions. You know, is it mostly about personal responsibility or is it mostly about you know coming together and and pulling each other up is it a bootstrap situation where I pull myself up or do we come as one pull one another together and so it it just felt so repetitive and the more I would watch current events the more I'd just see new manifestations of the exact same debates and conversations we've had over and over and over again Having said all of that, just to give you some some insight, I, as a rule, I, I skew to the left and in my country, which means I'm I run more liberal, and never. But 
I recently got introduced to Jordan Peterson and I wouldn't say he by any means is a guru of mine. I, I just, I love uh, great thinkers. So that includes people like Jordan Peterson, as well as Ben Shapiro, as well as Sam Harris, uh, anyone, especially if I disagree with them, now I'm hooked because I want to hear someone that I disagree with think out loud so that I can track where they're going and I can say, huh, okay, maybe I don't, I don't agree with you, but I see where you're going and I feel much more comfortable with what you represent now that I understand it better. So anyway, I, you know, Jordan Peterson said something about our political institutions and the sort of the divide between liberals and conservatives that I thought was really on point. He said, conservatives tend to score high, and this is on a personality test. There's the five personalities. I think there's, so it's introversion versus extroversion, conscientiousness, neuroticism, openness to experience, and uh, agreeable, agreeableness, agreeability, like how, uh, yeah, how agreeable you are. So anyway, to give you a background about me, I score high on introversion. I am. Uh, I score highly on conscientiousness, as well as openness to experience, as well as neuroticism. <laughs> and I'm agreeable versus disagreeable. So when I was hearing him describe this, he said, so conservatives tend to score on the whole very high on conscientiousness. And liberals score high on openness to experience. And those who are very conservative tend to score rather low on openness to new experiences. And those who are very liberal tend to score very low on conscientiousness. And so what we need as a community or as a society is to find a way to embrace both because they both have a place. And I completely agree with that. And being one that scores high in both openness to experience as well as conscientiousness, it explains why I'm able to appreciate both of these sides. I appreciate conservatives when they come up and say, listen, get off your tush, do the work, take some responsibility, stop relying, you know, stop pointing fingers at everyone else and talking about how all y'all are doing is wrong and stop just raising grievances and talking about what you want, what we need to do better. Get off your, you know, pardon my language, but get off your ass, basically. And I do see this. I do see liberals, not all, it's of course not indicative of all, but many who quite frankly, when, when they complain about their student loans or about this or that, it's like, well, that you took that on. You decided to get those student loans, pull your big boy panties on or your big girl panties on, whatever, and get to work. Spend less, make more. It's not that complicated. So that frustration that bubbles up in me it makes it easier for me to empathize with conservatives who are saying on a, on a number of topics, get off your ass, do the work, take some personal responsibility. But on the other hand, conservatives have a tendency to, uh, and this again is not indicative of all, but I see more often conservatives who are depicted and publicized often are not very open to new experiences, which really that often might mean they're not open to new ideas or they might not be open to new people. They want to, they want to close in. They want to close ranks. They, they tend to want to protect their tribe, which isn't inherently bad, nor is it inherently good. But what they lose, so just as with liberals, when they're constantly fretting about wanting to open up new experiences, sometimes they lose the follow-through. Well, with conservatives and their efforts to, you know, just productivity the crap out of things, they lose compassion and empathy. They forget that 
we all do need to have some fundamental sort of baseline of functionality. Like when there's a healthy, thriving middle class, in other words, everybody benefits. So I will frequently hear conservative speakers, you know, poo-poo on like, oh, well, that, you know, oh, with that middle class, they're little sissy la-las. And it's like, you know, maybe. But at the end of the day, entrepreneurs who are crushing it do a whole lot better when there's a middle class who can afford to pay for the products that those entrepreneurs are making. So everybody wins. And there is something to be said for having a safety net so that when, because we're all just one bad decision or one, you know, tragedy away from being the underdog. You know, I'm, I'm in a really good spot right now. I have a job, I have a home, and I have food in the refrigerator. I have a refrigerator to put food in. I've got good things going. I am well aware of the fact that that could disappear like that. I'm well aware of it. That was always true, but all the more so sort of in my face right now. Okay, so with all of that on the background, these are the things competing for my attention as the election year starts to build some momentum and as COVID-19 cases are starting to increase. You know, as a health educator, it is my job to have some amount of information for people when they come asking questions. Hey, how do I take care of myself? How do I keep from getting this thing? What can I do to optimize my chances of survival if I do get it? It's questions like that. So there I am looking at the news, which then often leads to, well, that's, you know, what are some of the policy measures that are going through? And, you know, who's making those policy measures? And the nightmare that is the way our entire government is responding. And I'm calling it a nightmare, by the way. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not into just blaming one man. I'm just not into it. Trump is no more an antichrist than Obama was a savior. I mean, they were, they're both just men. That having been said, he's doing a crappy job. And you can tell because there's nothing coherent, there's nothing consistent. Even in watching more recently, his, his most recent uh, interview with a Fox News anchor, of course, I'm not going to remember his name. That would be super helpful. Um... It, it was really clear that there, there isn't really a coherent philosophy. There was even a point where the interviewer says to him, well, are you willing to take some responsibility? And in one sentence, not even one clause, he says, I take total responsibility. I take responsibility for everything all the time. Governors are just doing a really crappy job. And it's like, ugh, like you didn't even pause for a comma. And you just, ugh. So I'm not crazy about the way he's doing it now. He could have, in order, if he had wanted to sort of at least get me on his side, he could have at least said, hey, I firmly believe in states' rights. Could we have a federal philosophy, plan of action, etc.? Perhaps, but that's not how I want to lead. I would have taken that. I might have disagreed with it, but I could have tipped my hat with a measure of respect going, well, okay, you believe in states' rights. No big deal. But he didn't. Having said all of that and my frustration with him, there is nobody else stepping up to the plate and, and sort of saying, woo, don't, you know, move over, children. Let me show you how leadership really looks. I don't see anybody. So Democrats, Republicans, they're both. I mean, even in the interview, a Fox News interview. So you would have think that maybe this interviewer, this journalist would have wanted to maybe, you know, Fox News has got the reputation for being so conservative <laughs> um you know go watch the daily show just one time and see how it's represented 
And so I was kind of assuming there might be a little bit more of a softness to the interview, but no, man, he was going to town. But the two of them both were just in a gotcha state. They weren't having a real conversation. It was just, here's the interviewer saying, hey, look what a crappy job you're doing. And then Trump saying, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You're fake news. And it was just this ping-ponging going back and forth. And you can see that in politics itself. No one is stepping up and saying, okay, all right, all right, we're done. Okay, that's it. We're done. Just, Just settle down. We all understand that we don't agree on crap. Like, there's a bunch of things we don't agree on. Let's just come together. Let's create a plan. Like, no one is is creating that unifying force that would allow for everyone to feel like they're all a part of the same country. Nobody. So nobody gets off the hook here. So knowing all of that, and I only know this, by the way, because I've been watching the news. (laughs) You know, I'm looking at articles and I'm watching my blood pressure go up and my resting heart rate go up. And I'm suddenly turning into this person who's feeling hopeless. I'm feeling like, well, what's the point? Like, we're doomed. (laughs) No one's going to step up to the plate. It's going to be chaos and mayhem. It'll be awful. It'll be terrible. And then I unplug from the news. Just for a day, for a week, for a couple of weeks. And I look around. I go to the grocery store. Everyone that I can see in the grocery store is following the guidelines and wearing a mask. That seems pretty cool because, and listeners, you probably know this already, but in case you don't, masks, unless you have a really good quality, don't protect the mask wearer. That's not their job. Masks protect other people from you. So it's, it's odd, you know, it, at first when masks were becoming a thing, I noticed that I heard, I overheard someone say, oh yeah, I love to freak out the mask wearers by, you know, hovering close. And when I heard it, I said, do, you do know that there's no, like to wear a mask doesn't protect the wearer. It's protecting you. Like that's what it's signaling. If you wear a mask, what you're signaling is I care about your health. I mean, you got to think of it this way. And this is probably a, This is literally a crappy analogy now that I'm saying this. But I saw some absurd cartoon where you had two people, like two guys, literally in a pissing contest. And they were trying to show why, like what masks do. They say, so if you have underwear and jeans on and you engage in this behavior, it will not shoot out and get on the other person. But the other person who's not wearing it can can pants can shoot out so it's the same concept if you're listening and you're rolling your eyes um that's probably appropriate but the idea is by me wearing a mask i'm reducing how much spittle is going out and that could end up near you and when you wear a mask you are doing exactly the same thing if i wear a mask and you don't your spittle can still get on me and infect me so it's not like my wearing a mask is helpful to me It's helpful to you. And so this is why I'm sort of, it feels like crazy town that there are people who are saying, oh my God, like they're trying to, you know, take away our rights or, you know, well, I don't care. I don't need to wear a mask. I feel safe. And it's like, oh God, it hurts. It hurts so bad. Oh, it hurts. So when I go out into the world now, Most of the time I'm seeing people wear them. 
maybe not outside, but it's hat and it's, they're not, you know, they're social distancing. Most of the time when I talk to people, they're being decent to one another. They're not at each other's throats. They're scared. Their, their capacity is lower. They might, it might be easier to stir up a conflict, but I really get the sense people are doing the best they can. And then when I go to work and I engage with my coworkers and I even talk a little bit about politics that they use, they're sort of like, nah, we're not into it. <laughs> it's too exhausting. It's like, yeah, it is, isn't it? Huh. And so these are the two warring things inside of me that conscientious want to know things because I think the information will be helpful. Part of me wants to stay informed. I want to stay informed about policy measures. I want to stay informed about numbers of COVID cases. And I want to stay informed about, you know, what we should be doing, new research on COVID, uh, you know, new ideas around how we can better protect ourselves. What are the new measures that scientists are saying we should take in order to, you know, reduce the likelihood that I either get this thing or spread it, or if I do get it, improve my chances of it being the equivalent of the sniffles instead of needing emergency room care, that sort of thing. So some amount of information seems not just appropriate, but necessary. But there's this easy tipping point where we can engage with news, or at least I notice for myself, if I engage with it to too, on a too high a frequency, if I open up the doors too broadly, suddenly I'm getting hijacked unnecessarily by people that aren't interested in informing me as much as they're interested in captivating me. I don't, I don't like the whole fake news, you know, just, oh, it's all fake news. It's not. They're doing real work, but they are also trying to keep me hooked because it's, they're trying to keep their jobs. They need me to be hooked. And so they're not going to talk about good news. They're going to talk about what's going wrong, the problems, and so on. This is one of the challenges that Steven Pinker in his book Enlightenment Now points to. You know, and he says, if you look at the data... We are living in the best times in, well, I mean, he, to be fair, he wrote this in 2018. So this was before COVID. I don't know that he'd be saying the same thing now. However, with respect to poverty rates, with respect to, uh, you know, violence broadly, as well as violence against women and children all over the world, he's saying, (laughs) we're doing remarkably well. We have the fewest number of conflicts, at least as it relates to war. We have the greatest amount of wealth. Our poverty levels are going down. We have the best set of circumstances we've ever had. And he wasn't saying that to say, so sit down, boys and girls, no big deal. No, you know, you can go ahead and go on vacation. Just the opposite. What he was trying to say is we didn't get here by accident, folks. We got here through blood, sweat, and tears. We got here through a lot of hard work. And the systems we've created, they are working. They're not perfect but they're working. Take a minute to celebrate all that we've achieved. And let's take a minute to analyze what is it that we're, what's going well? What is it that we're doing that's working? And what is it that we're doing that's not working? And then go from there. he said, but unfortunately right now we're in this weird space where we're continuing to only focus on the problems. And one part of the reason for that is just the way we're wired as human beings. We, it takes 10 good things to happen to us, psychologically speaking, to counteract the impact of one bad one. The exception to that, of course, is if we engage in brain training. So that means including things like meditation in our lives, uh, 
actively engaging in the practice of gratitude. And it sounds woo-woo, but the hard science, well, I don't know if it's hard science, clinical studies in the field of psychology are showing if you even, if you look at a brain scan even, engaging in practices like meditation and the practice of gratitude changes how your brain, it changes the the neuro, the uh, neuro pathways in our brain. It makes us so we have more of the uh, energy in our prefrontal cortex, we have, or more engagement maybe might be a better term. We have, we're more likely to see the good as opposed to the bad. So the good news is we can train our brains to kind of move in that direction. It's hard to do that though, if you're inundating your senses with the news, which again, they're no dummies. They know that what's gonna hook us is the problems, the challenges, what we need to overcome, what we're doing poorly. Okay, so that brings us to, you know, why is this important specifically for highly sensitive people? Frankly, this is important for all people, introverts, sensitive, extroverts, sensation seekers. I don't care how you identify. I don't care if you identify as a hippopotamus. It's useful to entertain these thoughts, to be get clear on, okay, what is the amount of information exposure that's good for me? And what is the amount of information exposure that's not good for me? (laughs) How do I engage with this in a way that's fruitful? So having said that, there was an article that came out because I went digging naturally because I'm a nerd and that's what I do. Oh God, what was the name of the institution? It's a, it's like a affiliate of Harvard, McLean Hospital. um, Put out an article and the article's title is how much news is too much news. And in essence, the the bottom line that it pointed to is, you know, obviously some amount of news is not just helpful, but imperative. Examples of that, um, you know, learning ways to stay safe, such as how to wear face coverings when in public. And then on the flip side, maybe not constantly checking to see how many COVID cases there are. So that's the difference between what might be helpful versus not. Is it helpful to see how many COVID cases are out there? No, not really. You don't need to keep a tally. Someone else is doing that for you. Johns Hopkins, all over it. CDC, got you. (laughs) You don't need to know. (laughs) I mean, if you absolutely are just dying of curiosity, go for it. Those numbers are out there. It is the land of Google, my friend. You know, your funeral. (laughs) Um, But understanding what can keep you safe, like wearing a mask, washing your hands, uh, and then beyond just keeping you safe, keeping you vital and strong. I'm noticing in a lot of even podcasts that are describe, talking about this are just like, why? Why are we not also talking about building immunity? So examples of things that build our immunity. Um, regular exercise, cutting out caffeine, cutting out alcohol, cutting out sugar so that you don't have as much of a, an inflammatory response sort of at the ready. Things that are going to improve, you know, eating real food, lots of fruits and vegetables. Like you're basically keep building a tolerance so that your your system is set up and primed to fight this thing off more effectively and in a shorter amount of time. So as an example, people who exercise regularly, they report half as many sick days. And when they get sick, the, the symptoms are less severe and they're sick half as long. So this isn't, doesn't mean that, oh, well, as long as you exercise every day, all should be right in the world. But it helps. Every little bit helps. So that kind of stuff is useful. Um, Also, be selective about where your sources are. So I know for me personally, I find that moving away from CNN, 
MSNBC, Fox News. I'm only using those because those are the, the big wigs that I know of and that are pointed to a lot. And moving toward the World Health Organization, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. You know, again, in, academic institution like uh, Johns Hopkins or Harvard, uh, Harvard or, you know, Stanford, etc. You know, looking to get information directly from the source of that which you're trying to, to discern. Um, remove anxiety-provoking information from your social media feeds. So this actually came up from uh, a Joe Rogan podcast, Alan Levinowitz. I am so sorry, Alan, if I mispronounced your name. <laughs> but the two were talking about social media, and they, they talked a lot about nuance and how we've lost that in our conversations, especially as it relates to politics. And you know, I pointed to that earlier when I mentioned how Jordan Peterson was saying, you know, we all bring strengths to the table, every, you know, conservatives and liberals alike, and every individual, however they self-identify politically. Well, and in losing that nuance, we, we do ourselves a tremendous disservice. And one of the things that they talked about is the, so the, like, for example, YouTube uh, algorithms. And a lot of people, you know, say they're nefarious and, oh, they're, they're you know, it's like sinister. That's a better word, sinister. Because, you know, it can take you down a rabbit hole. So as an example, if I look up, you know, some conservative article somewhere, I could suddenly go down a rabbit hole where before too long, I'm reading something from Nazi Germany. Like I, and it, at the most extreme level, that's just one example. But as it turns out, these algorithms are not inherently sinister. They just are geared to give you more of what you want. So one person set up an experiment where he only clicked on puppy videos and all of a sudden all of his feeds, all of his social media feeds showed puppies. So what they discovered is, no, 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 it's not trying to get you, it's not, there's no sinister thing going on here. It's feeding you more of what you want. It just so happens that what we seem to want is to argue, to be combative. We want the, we love stories and we want, we want the drama. Because the drama pumps our dopamine out, gets ex- excited, makes us feel like a hero. But that's not actually very helpful. So you can, if you're interested in using social media, you don't have to cut it out of your lives, you know, out of your life altogether. Just be deliberate about what you invite in. You know, be discerning about what you follow and what you decide to, to you know, it comes onto your feed, whichever outlet you happen to use. And then in terms of finding news that, it doesn't get that uh, experience of like, oh God, the sky is falling. It might also be worth purposefully looking for good news. So as an example, there are uh, accounts like uh, Good News Movement, Upworthy, YouTube's Some Good News, hosted by John Krasinski, I think. Um, hails from Newton, Massachusetts, apparently. You can create group texts with family or friends that to kind of share uplifting news stories with each other. Not because you're trying to Pollyannify the circumstances, but simply because good things are in fact happening every day. And it's worth spending some time and, and paying attention to that. So this was helpful for me personally to kind of get clearer about, okay, my bandwidth is clearly coming down because I'm getting really preoccupied with the elements of, you know, like the, the politics in a way that's not useful. It'd be, it's fine to want to learn more about Biden or, or Trump to determine who you're going to vote for. But I already know who I'm going to vote for. Don't you? And it's not time yet to vote. 
so what are we doing? Um, you know, so it, I mean, unless you really get tremendous joy out of it, but most people I know don't. So bottom line here, why is this important for highly sensitive people? As I, I, I alluded to it earlier when I said, hey, this is really important for everybody, but highly sensitive people are all the more affected by this stuff. So remember, their, vig- their, their nervous systems are just more vigilant. They're not super special. There's nothing, you know, kooky going on. But when a highly sensitive person gets more deliberate about what they have in their social media feed, those positive images will have an even more positive effect. Because this is what the research shows about those with brains that have a more vigilant and active nervous system. The bad news is when you look at bad news and tragedy, the brain is impacted negatively, even more so than the average person. But on the flip side of that, when looking at something good, a picture of a loved one's face, good news when a person does an act of kindness for another, the positive emotions that arise from that are even more intense than the average person. So HSPs are primed to, to really, like hi, not hijack, but like hack that system and use it effectively. So open yourself up to news, open yourself up to getting information all day long, that's great, but just be deliberate about what that news entails. Make sure that it's specific to what you're interested in and take some time to go out and seek out good news because it's everywhere. People are extraordinarily good. They're also extraordinarily bad, but you don't need to worry about the extraordinarily bad stuff. All of the news stations have got your back there. You don't have to worry about having to find it. They will deliver, baby. Your job is to balance that out because most of the time, at least as it is right now, things are okay relative to how bad it could be, things are okay. And I, I do want to reiterate that again, relative to how bad things could be. Like we could be dealing with a virus with a 60% uh, fatality rate or mortality rate. We don't have a 60%. It's somewhere between 1% to 3%. If you're going to have a pandemic, dem- dem's good odds. That's not to say that the Thousands upon thousands of deaths should be discounted and dismissed, but rather it could be millions and we're not in the millions. It could be billions and we're not in the billions. In terms of economic uncertainty, we are in incredibly uncertain times and many people are out of work and are terrified that their livelihoods are on the line. I don't want to dismiss that, but we're not yet at Great Depression levels where one in four people was unemployed. We're not there yet. Not to say that we couldn't be, but we're not there. Like, people are really trying to keep us afloat. There is that. You know, for all of anyone who might not like Trump, he has a vested interest in keeping our economy strong and keeping America strong because he wants to win, even if you don't like the guy. He has nothing but an incentive to make these things better. So... There's that. So yeah, I don't know what the balance is necessarily for each of you. What I do know is I found a balance that seems to work well for me. So I now know to just go directly to sources of information that are useful. And when I do dabble in the the panic and the the drama of it, I know what I'm doing and I I put a cap on it. It's sort of like, I see what you're doing there. Sort of like when I go in and I eat ice cream. It's like, yeah, I know. 
Like, I see see what you're doing, Leah. <laughs> like, we both know you don't you, you don't need this much ice cream, and yet I just keep going. It's like that. Same with news or social media. It's like, don't give it the keys to the car, in other words. So, and just so you're aware, I in terms of notes, I wrote a blog article about this that basically encapsulates everything that I said in this podcast. So you can go to www.thehealthysensitive.com, click on the blog, and I will have the blog that speaks to this. And I'll also have the podcast attached in that arena, as well as on my website in general, if you're looking around for other episodes. And any other updates? Not yet. So stay tuned. What I'm going to be putting out in the next few weeks are some uh, online events where people can come in live. Uh, I don't know if we're yet beyond virtual saturation point, but I'm going to sort of gently put some events out there in the next couple, like I'll I'll start promoting it in the next couple of months. Uh, The the first thing that I want to put out is, you know, a a, a series. Oh, sigh. So the first thing I'm going to put out is a seminar on how to stay sane (laughs) Um, using a lot of positive psychology principles. Like how do we really not just stay sane, but really thrive in uncertain times. And so I'll be using a lot of tools that are specific to HSPs. We'll go over uh, what it is to be a highly sensitive person. So the the does, (laughs) does, depth of processing, overstimulation, emotional sensitivity, and sensory sensitivity. Uh, And then we'll talk about how to hack that system and how to navigate these uncertain times and, and really use it as an opportunity to improve your mental state, your sense of resiliency, your your sense of um, I got this idness. <laughs> uh, I don't yet have a title. I've got a lot of the materials all out down pat, but stay tuned. I'll let you know when that launches. Again, I'm trying to be deliberate about what events I put out there because I, I do still think on some level we're still a little bit on uh, virtual saturation. But uh, yeah, look forward to keep it in touch. If you have any questions whatsoever, you can contact me at Leah at thehealthysensitive.com. Uh, you can also go straight through my website in the contact me page. Uh, and of course, as always, anyone who's interested in engaging in one-on-one coaching, please feel free to get, reach out to me. Uh, I'm just going to be putting out some uh, discounts and new deals and etc. But if you have questions before, just reach me again at Leah, L-E-A-H, at thehealthysensitive.com. And yeah. I think that just about covers it. I hope you have a marvelous week. I'll look forward to checking in with you next week. Bye.